Father God, you are truly good, and we do thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Father, we pray that you will open our eyes to your truth this morning in your word. Father, I pray that you will help us to see who your son really is, that all the ways of this world will be removed and that you will put us solely in front of Jesus. Father, we pray that you'll do the same for Pastor Roy Garza of Pillar Church, 29 Palms, that they've gone out a year ago from this area to plant a church in California, Father. We pray that you will bless that ministry, that you'll bless Pastor Roy and his family, that you'll use them, Father, to bring more people to the saving knowledge of your son, Jesus. Father, we pray that you will help them to reach the Marines there at the base. And Father, I pray that you will help them to find the new location that they're looking for and the leaders that they need. Father, we also pray for Pastor Vijay and his wife, Abigail, Father, as they return to India and as they share the good news among the people there, Father. May they be encouraged this morning with the truth of the gospel. Father, I pray that you will guide them and use them. Lord, we don't want to forget how many people still do not know the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you will send, maybe from among us, brothers or sisters who will go to the Arabs, the Maghrebi of Sudan, who are following the false religion of Islam, that they think they have to work and measure up to a standard in order to gain eternal life, Father, that they only see Jesus as a created being. Father, I pray that you will open their eyes among that precious people and that you'll send brothers and sisters who share the good news of Jesus Christ and that they will come and be part of your family and that churches will be built and grow among them, Father. Lord, we also pray for Pastor Bobby at Foundation Church of Fredericksburg. We pray that you'll strengthen him this morning. Lord, we have many requests the families who are traveling in the sickness, Father. And we think of Pam Erickson, who's still recovering from the aneurysm, the the stroke that, that she had those many months ago and the recovery still, Father, and the long road ahead. We thank you for the opportunity that she has had with the rehab and the healing and the surgeries. Father, we pray that you'll strengthen her and her husband, Carl. Lord, be with Pastor Tom as he preaches in Carl's absence. Father, again, we pray that you will draw people to yourself through the preaching of your word and that our neighbors here in the Dahlgren area will come to the saving knowledge of your son, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. Every two years, Ligonier Ministries, along with Lifeway Research, They conduct a survey to see where Christians in America are in their understanding of our faith. This includes you and me and every person who considers themselves to be a Christian. Those who go to church maybe every Sunday and those who say Jesus is the way. They take a survey among those people. Ligonier and Lifeway Research, they essentially take a pulse 
on the state of our faith in the U.S. among evangelical believers. They ask questions like, what do people who call themselves Christians believe about God? What do they believe about Jesus Christ, about sin and eternity? They just released their most recent findings last month. Again, they do this every two years, and the most recent survey was just released last month. You can find it at thestateoftheology.com. You can see the full survey there on that website. Here are some of their findings. Over half of those surveyed, that while everyone sins a little, they believe that everyone sins a little bit, over half believe that people are good by nature. People are just good people. Are people generally just good? Are they, are they naturally good? Is there a single person in this whole world who is good? The Bible doesn't say that. In Romans 3.10, it says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. When asked if God accepts the worship of all religions, especially the the monotheistic theistic religions, that's Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. If God accepts all the world's religions, and the answer came back, over half say yes. Over half evangelical Christians believe that God accepts the worship of all religions. Over half. 42% disagree and 7% aren't sure. That means that the majority of Christians who were surveyed in America essentially believe that there's no difference between Christians and Jews and Muslims. We all worship one God, monotheistic. We all worship one God, so it must be the same God that we worship. Jesus himself contradicts this. He says that he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. No one comes through the Father except through him. That's John 14, 6. We're also told in Ephesians, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. That was Paul in Ephesians 4. So, What's the point of sharing our faith if God accepts the worship of all religions? Think about that. If over half of the Christians surveyed is reflective of all the Christians in America, that God accepts all the worship that anyone does, what's the point of sharing our faith? That would mean that that Jesus would be wrong. And telling us to go to the nations. To, he's sending us to the nations. To make disciples of all nations. Jesus would be wrong. We would just need to find people who aren't religious. And tell them that, that God is real, right? I mean, that's, that's the, essentially what the outcome of the survey is. If God accepts all worship, 
We just need to find people who don't worship. And that just doesn't make sense, does it? That's not what Scripture says. That would mean that when Paul spoke to the people in Athens and he told them that, he, that they were worshiping idols, that they were worshiping false gods, he was wrong to call them idols. He was wrong to call them idol worshipers. He's wasting his time telling them about this unknown God. They had a statue in Athens for all the gods. There in Athens, right in the center square, they had these uh, statues, these idols all throughout. The people would come and worship these different gods. And they had one statue that said to the unknown God. This is in Acts. And, and Paul says, you all are worshiping all these false gods. Who you need to know is this one here. He's not in stone. It's the unknown God. Well, if God accepts worship of all religions, Paul would have been wasting his time. You see, Christians and Jews and Muslims believe differently about who Jesus is. They believe differently. Christians see him as the son of God, the the risen Christ, the, the Messiah who was promised in the Old Testament. Jews see him as a fake. Jews see him as a counterfeit Messiah. They're still waiting on their Messiah. And Muslims... While they think Jesus is a good man, a prophet even, they hold Muhammad much higher than Jesus. You see, we we don't believe the same God. Christians, Jews, Muslims, we don't believe the same God. Our God has a son who fulfills every promise that God gives. Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. And we believe if you don't have faith in the Son of God, if you don't have faith in Jesus, then you stand condemned before God. Now, even though most Christian surveys say that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, that's a good thing. Most are confused who Jesus is. In the same survey, almost four-fifths, 78% of those surveyed believe that Jesus is the first and the greatest created being by God. Jesus was not created. Jesus is the creator. This was debated and settled in the first century when folks were saying that Jesus was only a man. They were thrown out of the church as heretics. Today, 78% of Christians surveyed believe he was created. This shows a serious lack of teaching and understanding on the person of Jesus Christ. There's not much taught these days on the doctrine of Christ in the church. Isn't this amazing? In the Christian church, where Jesus is held as the one who takes away the sin of the world, who gives life and is the one who gives meaning and purpose and joy and hope and satisfies every longing. The reality is in his church, very little is taught about him or believed about him. Here's another finding. Almost 70% disagree 
that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. 70% disagree with that. And 58% strongly disagree that the slightest sin deserves judgment. Wow. How cheap does the church hold the holiness of God? How low is our valuing of his grace? You see, when you understand the holiness of God and who you are before him, you really begin to appreciate and accept and want God's mercy and his grace. But how little the church regards the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, if we're not held accountable for the slightest sin by God's standards, then what standard are we held by? Your standard? My standard? Someone? Our, our own standards? No, if God does not hold the smallest sin accountable, what does it say about God's holiness? Now, some, some may answer this and say, well, God is a forgiving God, which is true for those who repent of their sin. And if we don't think our sin is worth repenting for, then what will God forgive? The truth is, we're told in James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in just one point of God's law, God holds that person guilty of all of it. The famous saying in the church is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's a beautiful saying. That's a beautiful saying. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This is so true. This is God's love to us because of Jesus. He loves us in Jesus and for Jesus. We know this because the Bible tells me so. But because of where the American church is today, because of the state of the church, we ought to add, apart from Christ, God judges me. But kept in the Son, I am free. Apart from Christ, God judges me. But kept in the Son, I am free. We think we got the love part down. Jesus loves me. We think we, we understand that. We don't fully grasp or hold dear the grace that God saves us. He saves us from judgment that we're owed by his grace and his mercy. That's the gospel message. Nor do we value what Christ is for us or how close we need to stay under his protection and stay tethered and hold on to Christ. God loves those who see the reality of their sin, who are in a constant state of repentance and seeking his grace. Only those who hold on to Christ are free from the judgment. Christ is our refuge. He is our shield. He is our sin conqueror. Now, this survey has a lot more 
questions that show the the sorry state of the American church. I want to give you just one more result. On the question of religious belief being only personal opinion, how would you answer that? The question of religious belief being only personal opinion, not objective truth. 53% either agreed or weren't sure. And this is those who consider themselves followers of Christ, Christians. Over half think that their faith is just their point of view. If our beliefs are only opinion, then it doesn't matter if we believe and others don't. It doesn't matter what the end times will be like, and it doesn't matter if Jesus came to save sinners or those who are apart from him will perish. We can just skip over those verses. Folks, our faith is not a man-made religion. It's not an add-on to our faith. It's not an add-on to our lives, and it's certainly not just opinion. It is the truth. It's the true reality we all live in. It's the reality of the universe. It is the hope that Christians stake their lives on. So how would you score with these questions? How would you answer them? Do you know your faith? If you call yourself a Christian this morning, how well do you know your faith? Or a better question, how well do you know God and his love and the grace given through Jesus Christ? Here's the conclusion that Ligonier and Lifeway Research came to. The survey, quote, reveals deep confusion about the Bible's teaching, not only among Americans as a whole, meaning those who who don't go to church, who, who don't consider themselves Christians, but also among evangelicals. There is something very wrong when a majority of Americans can give the correct answers to basic Bible questions and at the same time say that their beliefs are purely a matter of personal opinion. These results show the urgent need for sound biblical teaching and the bold preaching of the gospel. Millions of people, millions of people do not understand the holiness of God the reality of sin, and the one way of salvation in Jesus Christ. Millions. If we do not hold fast to the teachings of Scripture, we too will become part of that sorry state of the church. We will question like this human reasoning that, that leads away from, from Christ. We will begin to answer the same way. Paul tells us in our passage this morning that Christ is the treasure of all wisdom and understanding. And he doesn't want anyone to delude the church with plausible arguments. He doesn't want the church to be convinced by well-speaking people, imposters who distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, if we don't see in Christ the true wisdom of God, and the knowledge of truth and salvation and eternal life, then we will be easily confused and deceived. We will fall for teachings that take us away from Christ. 
We will not know the truth and we will be deluded by really good and convincing people. They just need to speak really well and draw a crowd and we'll go wherever they say go. We'll be drawn away by people who are more about serving themselves than they are about sacrificing for Christ. If you don't believe me, if you don't believe me this past week, on Facebook, I saw Christians who confess that Jesus is their Savior and Lord, like the page of a person who offers a class where she teaches there are different ways to hear from God. She claims people hear God differently from those around them. We're all unique in how we hear from God. She says that we each hear in our own personalities. In a unique way. She calls it prophetic personalities. She says a Christian can be a hearer. She, they, they hear God's word. Or a knower. This is a person who just knows by their intuition what God wants or what God says. Or a feeler. Someone who primarily experiences God through, through their emotions, through feelings. Or a seer. Someone who sees God in his words and pictures or, or dreams, visions, primarily. She touches on the different aspects of humanity and then puts a personal experience on it and that perception above Scripture. In her course, you will hear her say that God is trying to say something to you. And he's trying to get it to you. But she's not pointing to Scripture. She's referring to your personality being the, the tuning dial for God's way to communicate to you. This is completely full of self-reliance. Self-reliance instead of solid footing that God clearly lays out in his word. Does God say he'll speak to us? Yes. Does God say he will guide us? Yes. But does God say he'll speak and guide us through our own thoughts and our own feelings or by what we know? No, he doesn't. God says our thinking needs to be renewed. He says our feelings are too shallow and too easily pleased by the things of this world. And we can't just assume truth. We have to learn his truth. You see, the reality is God has already spoken we just need to listen by being obedient to what he said. We are here to listen to what he's spoken in his word, and we need to learn to obey him. We are to submit to his authority. You see, our, our problem is that we're too into ourselves. We're too into ourselves. He tells us to die to ourselves. We are to pick up our cross daily and die and follow him. Our thoughts, our feelings, our outlook are to be brought under his authority through his word. See, if Christians in America were taught scripture and they obeyed God according to what he says in his word, this lady would be speaking to an empty room. But the sad thing is her classes continue to fill up. They're full. Every course is full. People wanting to hear from God are chasing God with their own approach. Today's message 
is a continuation from from last week. Paul says in verse 1 of our passage, for, or you know that the word for means because, right? So for I want you or because I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. See, Paul struggles in his ministry. Paul struggles in his ministry because he wants to present everyone mature in Christ. That's up in verse 28. And he does this by making the word of God fully known. That's in verse 25. Paul struggles in his ministry. He says this for the third time in in chapter 2, verse 1. So that everyone is presented, everyone in the church is presented mature in Christ in chapter 1, verse 28. And he does this by making the word of God fully known, chapter 1, verse 25. Paul goes on to say that he wants hearts to be encouraged, to have increased confidence and strength in order to be knit together in love. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. I don't know of anyone. I don't know of anyone who doesn't want to be encouraged. Encouragement gives us a boost to keep going. Everyone I meet wants to be knit together in love. Everyone wants to be united together in lasting, real love. And most people who call themselves Christians want full assurance of our faith. Paul says he struggles for this. He works hard for this. He's in agony even for the Colossians. He toils and he works real hard and he has real concern for them. He wants them strengthened in their faith. And how does he do it? He does it by making the word of God known. The third time Paul mentions struggling in his ministry. He's not looking for sympathy here. Paul's not saying, woe is me, I'm I'm struggling in my ministry. What he's doing is drawing a comparison between real Christianity, real Christian ministry, and those who offer pain-free Christianity. Those who aren't really Christian at all. The Colossians were being persuaded by smooth talkers who claimed that Christianity was a way to escape the pain of this world, to have greater knowledge and better understanding for better living. Don't think what the Colossians were facing is not the same today. Don't think that what they're facing doesn't happen today. Don't think that this was somehow an ancient world problem and we've somehow moved beyond in our modern world beyond this. The Ligonier survey I went through and the person that I saw on Facebook that talks about personal perception and intuition are just one of many people out there. That should tell us what Paul is saying to the Colossians is for us today. Don't let anyone ever tell you that the Bible is outdated. Don't let anyone tell you that this Bible is is old-fashioned. 
Yes, the the letter was written two millennia ago. But these words are everlasting words. They were good for the Colossians and they're good for us. This Bible holds true for you and for me. We need this word taught to us. We need to know God's word. We need to be warned about so-called pain-free Christianity. That's not truth. That's not real. We need encouragement. Believers today need to know that they're knit together in God's love. We need reminded that we have full assurance of our faith in Christ. And that's what I want for you today. I want you to be encouraged today. I want you strengthened in your faith. The love we speak of is real love that's for you. You don't have to wonder who you are in Christ. Having assurance in him gives strength to endure this life. So how does that happen? How does this happen? How do you and I have full assurance in Christ? How does this uniting together in love happen? Paul tells us it's by treasuring Jesus in your heart as the true treasure of wisdom and knowledge. It's seeing the source of all that you know about life and love and meaning and reason and purpose and blessings are found only in Jesus Christ. It's having full assurance that only in Christ is your heart full and strong. And give you the real aim in this life. Knowing this then produces another question. It brings about another question. How do you treasure Jesus as the true treasure of wisdom and understanding? There's only one way the Bible speaks of. And that's in relation to Jesus Christ. It's in relationship with Christ. It's not on some other path that focuses on your personality. It's not looking at some other teachings that tells you to go off in another direction. It's only in relationship with Christ. It's not seeking comfort in your wisdom. And it's not by what you think is best. The only way to flourish in this life is through relationship in Jesus Christ. Those who know Christ have real knowledge. They are the ones who have understanding about life and know the mystery of God. You can't marginalize Christ and expect to have fulfillment in your life. So how then does treasuring Christ happen? How does treasuring Christ happen? It begins by knowing your Bible To understand the gospel so you can love Jesus as your treasure. Do you see that? Paul is saying he struggles in his ministry so that he can present the church mature in Christ. And how does he do it? By making the word of God fully known. And then he tells them that he wants them to be encouraged He wants them to have full knowledge and understanding, to understand God's mystery, the riches of God's mystery, which is Christ. And how do you do that? 
It begins by knowing your Bible. You have to be in the Bible to learn about the gospel, which leads you to Christ. And by doing this, you won't be deluded then by plausible arguments that tell you to pursue other things. You see, the truth is you can't love Jesus apart from the gospel. That Jesus died in your place to take the punishment that that you deserve for your sin. You can't know the gospel apart from that. And you can't know the gospel apart from the Bible. The Bible is God's gift to us. The Bible gives life and is full of treasure that God has given to us. It contains the message of Christ and it gives life for all who are firmly grounded in faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the more deeply you and I are embedded in the scriptures, the greater understanding we will have of the gospel. And the greater understanding and learning about the gospel, the richness of the gospel then fills your heart full of love for Christ. A way to summarize what Paul is saying is the only way to come to full understanding about your life is to come to treasure Jesus Christ, which is described in the gospel. We know what a treasure Christ is because of the good news for what he's done for us. And that's told to us in the Bible. Here's another way to put it. If you want your faith to be firm, to be strengthened and to grow and to have full assurance, you have to keep your focus on Christ. As you look to Christ through his word, your understanding of your need of the gospel will keep you grounded in Christ. And as you grow in the gospel, your heart will fill up with love for Christ. And no one will be able to convince you of turning away from him. There'll be no need to add anything to him when you truly see him. He will be all you need. He will satisfy every longing. The Bible leads you to the gospel message. And the gospel leads you to Christ. In whom is the encouragement of your heart and the uniting together in love with fellow Christians. And the full assurance of knowing God and understanding this life and what it's all about. You see, Christians are people who are in the word of God. We're all about the word of God. We're a people of the book. The book points the way and the way leads to Christ. Faith doesn't happen any other way. You see, people in that survey gave these astonishing answers. Maybe you shook your head at some some of the answers. But they gave these answers because they're not in the scriptures. They're not in the scriptures, looking at the scriptures and not just parts of it. It's all of it. They're not taking it in. And so they've lost their way. These people have lost their way. And the result is they don't understand or have faith that's firmly rooted in Christ. These people may say they have faith, but they don't have biblical faith which means they don't have a real, heart-strengthening, love-filling, fully-assured faith in Christ. 
And this is what happens then to people. They're convinced to chase after other teachings. They can't stand against the deceit that's out there. Since they're not constantly and consistently in the Scriptures gaining understanding and seeing that the Gospel leads to Christ, they're persuaded to chase after other things that seem to be fulfilling, but all that it's doing is leading them away further and further from Christ. You see, the Bible tells us that it's a simple Gospel. It's a simple message. We need to believe this message. That the Son of God came to save sinners. And all you do is repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And you follow Jesus. The blessings and the fullness of life are only found in the hidden treasures of knowing and being with Christ. Since every person seeks encouragement. Every person, right? Every person wants love. This is a universal need. So when a person's not in the Bible, when they aren't taking in the gospel message, that need for encouragement, that need for love is then filled with other things. A person will look to something else other than Christ for assurance. And when this happens, they're ready to listen to any plausible teaching they hear on social media or or the internet or anywhere else. God's people, the church, has to be a people that say yes to the teachings of the Bible. No matter how long it takes, no matter how simple the message, no matter how hard it is to understand, we have to be a people who say, give me more of the Scripture. Give me more of the Gospel message. Let me hear more about Jesus. And we have to be a people who whose hearts are united together with love for Jesus. I don't want you to be deluded with any plausible false teachings. I don't want someone to come and who's a good speaker and convince you to take your eyes off of Jesus. I want your faith to be firmly grounded in Christ. I want your heart strengthened to endure this life and to be filled with lasting love and joy and hope. This only happens. Listen now, it only happens through the gospel of Jesus that's given in the word of God. That's why Paul struggled in his ministry and toiled and worked hard to make the word of God fully known. Be in his word. Stay in his word. Be assured with the word of God. Grow in knowledge and understanding in the gospel through the word and be filled with lasting love and joy by the word. Don't be led astray by anyone pretending to tell you new insights or to have fulfillment in any other way. Don't be deceived to take your eyes off of Christ. Paul ends this passage in verse 5. He ends it by saying, He's rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. That's my final word to you this morning. I rejoice to see your faith strong and firm in Christ. I rejoice that the gospel leads you to Christ. 
I rejoice that the Bible is your treasure chest and it gives you the true message of the gospel and the great love of Christ. And I want to encourage you. Wipe the dust off the Bible if you need to. But open it. Read it. Be in it. See the gospel message. See Christ. See his love for you. See what he's done for sinners. And rest in Christ and nothing else. Let's pray.